This is the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors, where you'll hear about many aspects of law in England and Wales with special guests, industry experts, and local charities. Here's your host, Amanda Jones. Hello, and welcome to season four of the Legal Lounge. If you haven't heard the shows in the first three seasons, there's plenty of content for you if you're going through a divorce, want to know more about claiming for injuries, or if you're training to be a lawyer. You'll also meet some amazing local charities and learn about the work they do. You can listen to these shows on your favourite podcast app and get more information by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. Using the humour from the Darling Buds of May as a case study, agricultural solicitors Stephen Caulfield and Susan Grazier talk about the importance of putting agricultural tenancies and partnership agreements in place. POPs should be succession planning, considering retirement, making a will and putting lasting powers of attorney in place. I'm here with my colleague Susan Grazier and my name's Stephen Caulfield. We're both solicitors with Lanyon Bowdler. We're going to talk to you on what might be thought of as a narrow subject of farm tenants and uh, succession, but in fact it has all sorts of aspects pertinent to agricultural law in general. As with some of our podcasts on agriculture, we're going to use the Larkin family from the Darling Buds of May, a theme to work on, particularly because um, Pop Larkin didn't like working with professionals didn't like putting things into paper. I always remember the early series was David Jason, Pam Ferris and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Those are the ones I've got in mind. And as an outline to the talk, we're going to be covering the following subjects, starting with the history of Pop Larkin's tenancy at Brandy Farm, how it started and who farms it. Then the landlord informing Pop that he needs to sell the freehold of the farm and what this means for Pop and his family. We then go to uh, Pop's request for Susan and Stephen to advise him because he meets them down at the pub every so often together with the landlord, actually. The potential for Pop being able to buy out the farm, whether the fact that the tenancy isn't in writing will have an effect. With an Agricultural Holdings Act tenancy, what sort of security will Pop have for himself and his family? Who could his successors be in the event of death or retirement? And what about an agreed succession now with the landlord before he sells up? And we'll wind up with some associated points which we think are relevant. A potted history, I've got Susan here looking at me, I'd like her to take over halfway through the potted history. Pop took on the tenancy of Brandy Farm from Captain Broadbent in 1980. He owns a local estate, he's a regular Sunday drinker at the pub, and Pop owns two farms next to his. Now, they've always got on, neither of them like dealing with solicitors and land agents. And they come from a time when the gentleman's word is his bond. The captain said to Pop that this farm was becoming available. They shook hands on it, didn't put anything in writing. Since when, Pop and his family have farmed it. It accounts for 70% of their turnover, together with the other two farms. It's a good farm because it's got a lot of intensive vegetable growing potential with a lot of water. The family members in in the Larkin family helping have always been Pop and his wife Ma, his eldest daughter Mariette, and his eldest son, Montgomery, and youngest son, Oscar. I think Susan knows a bit what happened when Montgomery was 21 and got married. Remember that, Susan? I do. I I think we've celebrated that at the pub as well, didn't we, when he got married. And they moved into the farmhouse. It was a bit of a state when they moved in in Brandy Farm, but they did some work to it uh, and have improved it. And so uh, they've carried on living there whilst farming that part of the holding. The other part on the history of it is that They are obviously some kind of farming partnership. Pop's the only original tenant there, but they've all been there 
and the rent has come out of one account on the business. It's Pop's only bank account. Pop's always held the purse strings. Yes. So the, the question which we might have to address in this is who actually amounts to the partnership if there's no written agreement? We have urged Pop to consider on previous occasions, particularly when the boys got older and Mariette also and joined him in the uh, the farming business. We have discussed it from time to time and suggested to Pop it would be a good idea to have a written partnership agreement. So far, he's resisting all attempts for us to persuade him. Yes, because he's a bit wary of the accountants and the taxman. Even though Mariette's married to a taxman. Well, he retired, didn't he, from the Inland Revenue. The landlord, Captain in Broadbent decided he got to break the news somehow to Pop. He was going to have to sell up the estate. He decided to drop round at Pop's at uh, 3pm one afternoon, knowing that Pop would usually be in the house with the hope of getting a scotch on the rocks from the little galleon bar in the corner of the sitting room. The captain explained to Pop that his wife Jasmine was tired of trying to keep the hall going on a shoestring and thought it high time they downsized to a modest townhouse in Kensington while keeping a cottage on the farm. Hence, he wanted to know if Pop would like to buy the farm. They deliberated over with the next three or four brandits. Pop had to explain that he hadn't got the cash available at the moment and worse still, he didn't want to go and talk to Captain Mannering down at the bank because he didn't get on at all with it. They then came to the point of saying they needed to take some advice on it. They'd met Stephen and Susan down at the pub and thought they'd be good to talk to on the subject. And that's where Susan's going to come in now, I think. It is. We know that Pop and Ma live in Home Farm and they've always lived there as long as we can remember, certainly. And then when Marriott and Charlie got married, they moved into New Holding Farm, which is the farm next door. And both of those are owned by Pop. Uh, we believe in his sole name from what we can understand that he, he tells us. Mariette and Charlie, although they do work from time to time on the holding, they, they're particularly involved in the microbrewery that's located on New Holding Farm. And then it's the tenancy of Brandy Farm that we're particularly concerned about because it's this one that the landlord had offered to Pop to buy and, and Pop doesn't think he can at this time. And Brandy Farm is where Montgomery has lived since the early 80s. I think it was 1981 when he got married and moved in. Um, I think they lived in the barn to begin with and gradually did the farmhouse up. But that's the one that they're, they're renting and that's the one that's a particular concern because it is a particularly good piece of land and they're finding that it most of their turnover is coming from the produce of Brandy Farm. So it is important that they have a think about things. As Stephen said, we think that Pop had a tenancy from about 1980, was oral, wasn't in writing, and that's not unusual for agricultural tenancies. There are two separate schemes of agricultural tenancies in operation at the moment, and they are very different in the way that they operate. I think if... Pop's tenancy was granted in 1980. It's likely to be an Agricultural Holdings Act tenancy. And because it was granted before the 12th of July 1984, I think it's got succession rights. And I think if Pop's is the original tenant, then there's a possibility that two successors can follow on behind him. So potentially three generations can continue to farm Brandy Farm. But Pop needs to think about what he's doing because he's 71. He says he's fit and well, but he's not getting any younger. And it probably is time now that the younger generation have a, have a chance to come forward with some ideas. Mariette's 50, Montgomery is 48. They've got their children growing up on the farms as well and wanting to think to the future. I very much hope that we will be able to persuade Pop to have a think about about his options. I would like to think that we can talk to him on his own. 
Pop being a gentleman, I'm sure he'll have half a mind to considering the landlord's wishes, but it's really what Pop wants to do for the future of the Larkin family. Yes, can I just mention we can't advise both of them, but they could bring us an agreed deal. They could indeed. The one thing that I have in mind, first of all, is probably a little... Well, it's certainly in the tenant's interest. It's not necessarily in the landlord's interest. And the thing with Agricultural Holdings Act tenants is, is they offer lifelong security, but that is... For a lifetime, one thing is certain in life, two things are certain in life, death and taxes. Pop can't stand taxes, but some point or other he's going to have to face the fact that he will die. We all do. But companies don't. And the first thing I have in my mind is that if his tenancy is unwritten, there will be no prohibition in the tenancy against assigning it. If he wanted to assign it and he assigned it to a trading company, a trading company would never die, which means that that tenancy could in theory continue in perpetuity and he'd never have to consider succession again. Yes, provided the company is kept going. There are always conditions to it. Pop doesn't like paperwork and that's the thing with companies. You have to maintain the paperwork. Yes, I wouldn't be convinced that he would maintain the paperwork. I wouldn't think Pop would and I also wonder if he'd be willing to do that to the landlord as well, the landlord who granted him a tenancy personally because they shook hands and they knew each other. And they are still good friends. They are still good friends. Till the captain moves to... Kensington, maybe, and things may change. Now, while you're on that subject, you've looked at the company idea, but I think you're going to come up with a different... I always like to have a plan B, and in fact, I've got a plan B and a plan C. Oh, right. So my plan B is for Pop to think about succession to the next generation. First of all, I think if we go through what his statutory entitlements are, what he can do, what the law will allow him to do, and then we can think afterwards about what he might want to do privately with the landlord. But I think the starting point is always what the law will allow you to do to begin with. And when you've got a succession tenancy, there are two occasions when succession can be triggered. The first is on death and the second is on retirement. And Pops is 71. He's going to think about one or the other pretty soon. If we look at death first, and the reason I'm looking at that one is because there's a very narrow window for a tenant to do something. Obviously, if Pop were to die, he'd have no say about when it happens. It just happens. But the next generation would have to take some action and they have to do it within three months after the date of Pop's death. And that timescale is is strict. There's no getting around it and there's no extension to it. I know that they're a very close family, the Larkins, and they're going to be devastated when the time comes that something does happen to Pop. And that's why I think it's sensible that they start to think about these things now so that they can have their plans in place for when the worst happens. They'd have to decide which one of them was going to take it on. That was what I was going to say, because there are actually a number of tests that a successor has to fulfil. And the first is the eligibility test. And I think that's what you're saying, Stephen, with who takes it on. And the second test then is the suitability test. And both of them have to be satisfied. So in terms of the eligibility test, It's only really close, well, it is only close relatives that can apply for a succession tenancy. And what's meant by close relative is a spouse, a child, or somebody that's been brought up in the family as a child of the family. We know, I don't know whether everybody in the village knows, but Pop and Ma aren't married. Oh, I think it's quite common knowledge in the pub. Do you think it is? I don't know. I think we talk about it when they're not there, not necessarily. Well, the pop didn't like the idea of the registration fee. Ah, is that what it was? The marriage license. 
So I don't think that Ma's going to be able to apply because they're not married. And I keep telling Pop marriage is a wonderful institution and he really should go for it. And the sooner the better before the girls get too old for their bridesmaids dresses. That then leaves the children of which we have several. Mariette works in the farming business, but it concentrates on the microbrewery. Montgomery works hard in the business and Oscar's starting too. We've got the girls as well. We've got Zinnia, Petunia, Primrose and Victoria, but they live away and those girls aren't really interested in taking on the farm afterwards. So it's then a question of whether it's going to be Montgomery, Mariette or Oscar because only one person can apply. Well, they can all apply, but only one of them is going to be successful. One of them has, a, I'd say, the primary chance of getting I succession. I absolutely think so. And I think a lot of that, some of that will come down to suitability, but part of it is under the eligibility criteria and that's the livelihood condition so we've talked about the first criteria being a close relative so if we're looking just at the children we then need to look at livelihood and there needs to be economic dependence on the holding by showing that the applicants work on the holding during five of the last seven years provided the main means of livelihood and that has to be satisfied to a material extent Mariette as we've said is hugely interested in the microbrewery, as is Pop, but Pop's more interested in sampling the wares than actually producing it. So I think probably Mariette would fail that test because in terms of Brandy Farm, the microbrewery is situated on her farm, New Holding Farm, and that's where she derives most of her income. So I think she'd fall foul of that test. Oscar, similarly, he's helping on the farm, but it isn't his predominant interest at the moment. But Montgomery is an entirely different kettle of fish because Montgomery works on the farm and only on the farm. And I think he would satisfy that livelihood condition, the economic dependence, because all of his income, at least the income that he declares, comes from Brandy Farm. And his home is on Brandy Farm. And his home is on Brandy Farm. And his children and his wife are on Brandy Farm. So the second part of the, well, the third part, I should say, of the eligibility criteria is the commercial unit test. If Pop is thinking about doing things this year, this is an issue. If he wants to delay things until next September, this test's going to, going to go. But basically, it means that the successor has to be economically dependent for their work on this particular holding and they can't be using any other holding. So again, even if Mariette were to succeed with the livelihood condition, which I don't think she will, she has another unit. She has new holding farm that she works on, whereas Montgomery only works on Brandy Farm. This is the only farm he has available to him for his work and his livelihood. And I think that would be a persuading factor of the eligibility test. The second strand then for succession on death is whether the applicant is suitable or not. And all relevant matters have to be included here, such as training or practical experience, age, physical health, financial standing, and what the landlord thinks. So I think from a point of view of, of either of the children, Mariette or Montgomery, neither of them went to college, neither of them wanted to, but they've had a lifetime of helping pop on the farm from whilst they were infants, babes in arms really, to now in their grown-up years. As I've said, Mariette's 50, Montgomery's 48, and there's very little I think that you and I, Stephen, could tell them about farming that they haven't learnt from practical experience. So I think in terms of training or practical experience, 
they've got that one beat. In terms of age, physical health and financial standing, again, they're youngsters, 48, 50. It's nothing at all. They've got ages, ages and ages before they'd need to think about succession planning themselves. And I know that they've been bought up by Pop to watch the pennies. Pounds look after themselves. So their financial standing, it's all tied in with the farm. But I think they'd have enough behind them so that if improvements were needed on the farm, they'd be able to cope with that. And we already know the landlord loves this family. He's grown up with them in the village or they've grown up with him in the village. He knows them since they were babes in arms. He has a huge amount of respect for Pops. And I think the landlord's views would be that either Montgomery or Mariette would be suitable candidates for succession if Pops were to die. We need to consider one of them. Yes. Now, I just mentioned that this family get on very well. It is technically possible their families perhaps don't get on too well. Various siblings will have a go at an application. So more than one could apply if they were minded. Not in this case. No. And hopefully they'd work together because I think it would be in everybody's interests for Montgomery because he satisfies all of the conditions. Perhaps if Montgomery were to be nominated as a successor to Pop uh, and then he and with Marriott's support, he could take that forward. It preserves the tenancy over Brandy Farm. And we've already mentioned previously here that we'd want Pop to think about partnerships, we'd certainly want Montgomery and Mariette to think about it, even if Pop isn't minded to do it at this stage. And something that could be considered is whether Montgomery takes the tenancy of Brandy Farm and farms it on behalf of of the partnership. So that's looking at the horrible thought that Pop passes away. Yes. And now I know you're going to come to look at the retirement. Yes. If if you can persuade him to get married. (laughs) Well, he doesn't have to get married, but if if you can get him to retire. I think... That's probably easier said than done as well. But I think I what I might do with this, I mean, talking to Ma for ages and ages about getting married and she just says, what's the point? She already is a larkin. She's been a larkin forever and she doesn't really see the point. But I think her marriage would be good. And I think uh, it would really be something to celebrate in the village. But I'm going to talk to Ma about him retiring because Ma and Pop, are the same age. They're both 71 and there are things that they want to do. I know that they had a a trip to the seaside not so long ago and I know that Ma had a very unfortunate episode with her knitted bikini which dissolved in the sea but they'd be able to have more time to themselves just to go away and and leave Montgomery just to bring his family up and through the business. So I think I'm going to work hard on Ma and see if she can persuade Pops to, to think about retiring. And if he did then... Pops could serve a retirement notice on the landlord. So he could serve this notice and say that he nominates somebody to be his successor. Now, the condition here is that Pop has to nominate one person. And this is where I think it's important that this is such a close family, that they do look out for each other, that family is everything to them and that they will cooperate. So if Pop were to choose somebody like Montgomery to his successor, He would then serve notice on the landlord to nominate Montgomery and then notice just carries on and has effect. But Montgomery would have to apply for a succession tenancy within one month of Pop's notice. And this is where it it pays really to think about these things in advance. And perhaps retirement is a better way of planning for things than waiting for death to happen because you can't predict that. So this would be something that the family would need to consider as a whole. It's often well known by the landlord that there's there's a person who's just right to be the successor and the parties talk, the landlord and the tenant talk about it. So before a notice has to be served, 
and applications made. They do a, su- a succession by way of agreement. They can. Which can save an awful lot of money. It can. Which would really please pop. pop. <laughs> and and that would be the way I think you're going to recommend. That's going to be my recommendation. I always like to set out what your statutory rights are because then it gives you somewhere to go. But my first choice is always talk about it. It's always talk about it, whether you're thinking about falling out with the neighbours, talk about it first. Moving a fence, talk about it first. It always pays to talk about it with the landlord. And particularly in this case, and before he sells the farm. So he's already determined that Pop can't buy Brandy Farm. He is going to think about selling it because his wife wants to move to Kensington. But it would be good to get these things in place before he actually completes the sale so that the buyer then buys with a tenant in place. Well, the buyer would be no worse off because Pop's already there, but it would make it clear for Pop and the captain as to what the future holds for them. And there is another way that Pop could actually, while he's alive not retire, but bring Montgomery in as a first succession. Pop doesn't necessarily have to retire, but that would enable Montgomery to come in and be guaranteed the first succession. It would, and I think that would be something that could be covered in a partnership agreement. And I know it's not its not for us to talk about partnership agreements, certainly not during, uh, during this afternoon, but partnership agreements are a great way of setting things out for the next generation. Because in that agreement, you can make it very clear that Pop is still a partner in the partnership. And he still does have a an important role in taking the business forward. But it just gives a, a clear indication here of what the succession is going to be in the future. It doesn't leave it to chance and it doesn't leave it to an act that is more than 100 years old, which if you don't have a written partnership agreement, partnerships fall to be determined by the Partnership Act 1890. And who wants to be governed by something that's that old? Even I'm not that old. If this is done in the right way and you had a, by way of the succession, you you turn it into what a farm business tenancy with succession rights. It improves the landlord's tax position, no end for inheritance tax, because instead of getting 50% tax relief, you'll get 100%. So say this agreement's put into place, but the captain can't sell the place for a couple of years and he were to pass away during that period of time, his estate would gain a huge amount of tax relief, which it wouldn't say there's a good reason why the captain would be interested in this. Absolutely. And I think for a, for a buyer coming into the farm as well, although they'd have to fulfil the ownership condition, it's still going to be attractive because if they were to fulfil the, the ownership condition and the, this family is going nowhere, so they would in time, ordinarily an Agricultural Holdings Act tenancy would attract 50% agricultural property relief for inheritance tax on the landlord's death, but provided they've owned it for sufficient time. If we had a new tenancy, which would be governed by the, the, the 1995, the new Act, then the landlord potentially can attract 100% agricultural property relief on this property. So that is something that's advantageous to the landlord. And of course, Something that's, that we have now in the new tenancies that we didn't have before in the Agricultural Holdings Act tenancies, it's very much what the parties agree. They can put their own hallmark on this tenancy and what they want it to be, what they want the repairing obligations to be, what they want the new rent to be. And I think that's an advantage for both landlord and tenant. So the succession rights continue and they're protected, but... There's just the advantage over the old Agricultural Holdings Act tenancies in that the parties can be more prescriptive about what they want to see in terms of the tenancy terms. Repairing obligations come to mind. 
They do indeed, because under the old Agricultural Holdings Act, it's usually by reference to the model clauses in an, a farming business tenancy or an Agricultural Holdings Act tenancy under the Agricultural Tenancies Act, the 1995 Act. You can actually be quite prescriptive about the repairing obligations. What you want done, what you don't what want done. Exactly. And Montgomery's already spent a lot of money on the farmhouse at Brandy Farm. Now, whether that was agreed with the landlord beforehand is hard to tell. I doubt it very much. It was Pop's tenancy and I doubt anything was in writing, which means that pretty much Montgomery's lost any rights he would have to claim for the improvements that he's made. But if they were to negotiate a new tenancy with the landlord and he decided he wanted to do anything going forward, build that swimming pool that his wife's always wanted or the extension for the twins, then he could negotiate with the landlord that those were tenants' improvements that he might be able to claim compensation for if the tenancy came to an end. And now we're coming to associated points which have come to mind as we thought about the circumstances they find themselves in. The first one I was going to say was we need to do a partnership agreement for them sometime. Lasting powers of attorney. I think that would be a really good idea. Again, it's pop and paperwork. Uh, because you can't have a lasting power of attorney unless it's committed to writing because what we're looking at are prescribed forms. Yes. But I think it would be sensible, not just for Pop personally, because he's very private about where his money is. I think he's got it all under the bed. I don't think he has a lot of it in the bank. I think it's under the bed, under the mattress, and probably some of it in the freezer. But Pop then would be able to choose who he wants to tell about his money and what he wants to do with it. So I think from the point of view of Pop's personal finances and what he wants to happen in the future, a lasting power of attorney would be a really good idea. But I also think it would be sensible for Pops to have a lasting power of attorney for the business, particularly whilst we're trying to nag him into deciding to do a written partnership agreement, because then he could decide who he wants to run the partnership, whether that's Ma whether it's Montgomery, whether it's Mariette, whether he wants Charlie to have an input from his tax days. But he could actually then be prescriptive about what he wants. And of course, lasting powers of attorney only have effect whilst the person is alive. So Pops also needs to think about having a will. And it would be sensible to do all of these things together so that he has lasting powers of attorney that says what happens to his personal effects whilst he is alive and perhaps doesn't have capacity to do things. There could be quite a lot of costs here. I think we'd have to buy him a few whiskeys. I think definitely. And I think also we'd need to have a word with our private client team and see what we could do in the way of discounting the fees. When he says he doesn't want a lasting power of attorney, I don't want to point out to him. If he was to be ill when formal notices are served on him, perhaps to do with a tenancy or government payments, and if he's the only person who's able to sign for the business, they're stuck unless they've got somebody else with the power to sign documentation. They are. I was going to use that well-known legal phrase, he's stuffed. He's stuffed, yes. yes it never lost, loses its strength, does it? No, 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 it doesn't. That might persuade him, though, because if we can get around, because even with the paperwork, he doesn't necessarily have to employ a solicitor to do it. I'd like to think he would, because then he gets the advice that goes with it. But lasting powers of attorney... The whole point of the new ones was that people are able to do that themselves. The problem is, it's not paperwork, it's computer work. Yes. And Pop's even worse on the computer than he is with paper. Yes, there won't be one of those in there. It won't be one of those. One of the things he could put in his will is who he would choose to be his successor if anything happened to him on Brandy Farm. And my only other 
thoughts were that we've only talked about Brandy Farm. If he, he's the owner of the freehold of the other two farms, and we're not going to talk about that this afternoon, but the tax implications on his death are enormous. I think we've covered it. What do you think, Susan? I think we probably have. I think it's now going back to Pops. I'll buy him a brandy. You have a stiff word with him. I'll do the stiff drink. You do the stiff talking to him. No, no, I need, the, I need the scotch on the rock. <laughs> the other thing, at the beginning, I think I forgot to say that the use of the uh, Darling Muds of Buds of May storyline, what we've been talking about, doesn't appear in the books at all, and any uh, coincidence in this respect isn't intended. Thanks to Susan and Stephen for lending their expertise. More proof that lawyers don't bite. If you have a legal issue you'd like me to put to the team to cover in an upcoming episode, please let me know by visiting lblaw.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. If you found the conversation useful, please remember to follow or subscribe on your app so you're notified of new releases. Speak to you soon. That was the Legal Lounge from Lanyon Bowdler Solicitors. Visit lblaw.co.uk slash podcast for helpful resources. And please do follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.